Good day. It is uh, my pleasure to introduce you to uh, our last webinar for the year of our Coronavirus Community of Practice program. We're thrilled to have everyone join us. The title today is uh, Omicron and Back to Work. And we'll address a number of uh, what we think are, are the greatest hits of the most important things that we think might be uh, helpful. Uh, I'm Charles Denham. I'm chairman of TMIT, founder of, T of Med the MedTech Bystander Rescue Care Program. And uh, this is our 176th monthly webinar, and we're thrilled to have you join us. Before we start, we just want to draw uh, everyone's attention to the fact that we were already going to experience a holiday storm surge. You know, we won't have the tsunami we did last year unless uh, the new virant ca uh, variant causes that. But we were already going to have um, a holiday storm surge that would keep uh, the number of infections and deaths fairly high. Um, and uh, uh, the Omicron um, uh, 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 variant uh, is another wildcard factor that will really have a huge impact. Today, we're going to cover a number of questions that we had in our invitation. How should uh, uh, Omicron uh, impact my, my plans? How should HR leaders plan for return to work? How do I make uh, an at-home hybrid model work? How do I plan for a breakthrough infection? Can I work at home if someone is in isolation? What if someone has a close contact? How do I make an airline flight safer? Do I go or do I not go? How do we design a safer family gathering? And how will uh, Omicron impact my family safety plan? Uh, what I'm gonna do first off uh, is draw your attention to what I found to be a wonderful um, resource for all of us. And that is uh, the, uh, the program that was on last night, which was a town hall addressing uh, uh, the new variant and what uh, variant and what we should really be considering. And so I'm going to play the opening package from that that was on CNN last night. Since January 2020, there have been more than 48 million confirmed cases of COVID-19 in the United States. More than 780,000 people have died. Almost 60% of the U.S. population is now fully vaccinated, according to the CDC, though only about 22% of those eligible have received a booster shot. Health experts say that is a crucial step in the fight against the virus, especially now that a new mutation has emerged. The Omicron variant, first reported in South Africa, has now been detected in at least 24 countries, including here in the United States. This strain has at least 50 mutations, and is likely more contagious, but so far it doesn't appear any deadlier. We're learning more every single day and we'll fight this variant with science and speed, not chaos and confusion. According to an Israeli health official, early data shows indications that people who are fully vaccinated and who've had a booster shot are protected against Omicron, but didn't provide any details about that claim. Health officials in the U.S. say it'll take weeks to find out just how well the existing vaccines protect against this new strain. The CEO of Moderna says he doubts the effectiveness of its vaccine is at the same level as it is with the Delta variant. Both Moderna and Pfizer say they're working on a vaccine specific to Omicron just in case it's needed. I doubt that uh, the results will be that we can find ourselves that we are not protecting at all. 
The CDC is increasing surveillance on international travelers coming to the U.S., ramping up testing at some airports, and may also require proof of a negative COVID test one day before arrival. And as we wait for the data, the message remains the same. Protect yourself and others by getting the vaccine. If you're not vaccinated yet, start tomorrow. We have the chance here as a nation to turn this around, but it's going to take all of us. So this is a, a, a very serious uh, concern. And what we did was we pulled our 130, many of our leaders of our 130 expert team about what we needed to do and where we needed to focus. Before we get started, we just want to address our purpose, uh, our mission, and our core values. Uh, our purpose is we will protect and enrich the lives of families, patients, and caregivers. And this is very pertinent topic uh, when we consider our caregivers. Our mission is to save money, create value, uh, save lives, uh, and create value in the communities we serve. And our core values are integrity, compassion, accountability, reliability, and entrepreneurship. And we really try to live those values uh, every day. They spell I care. And uh, we also want to address uh, disclosures. Uh, no direct or indirect or affiliated funding has been provided to support the program from any healthcare pharmaceutical or device companies. Uh, no product or service will be discussed. And the program's been funded uh, by private philanthropy for all 176 uh, webinars. None of our speakers today have anything to disclose as well. And we're very, very pleased to have just a terrific group uh, join us today. Jennifer Dingman uh, will be our voice of the patient. Uh, Jennifer is one of a, of a team that won the Pete Conrad Patient Safety Award for their terrific work in patient safety, specifically the Healthcare Associated Infections Program, which was one of the first pay for performance programs. And it was actually led by the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid and senior officials with uh, Medicare finally acknowledged about after about 10 years that this small team and their outreach through non-clinical, non-medical people actually were able to push this program across the goal line. And so, Jenny, we're so honored to uh, to be working with you. You've been the voice of the patient since the first uh, very first webinar over the last 20 months. Uh, and we'd like for you to kind of set our compass heading today for our webinar. Well, thank you for having me, Dr. Denham. I'm very interested in today's program and this new variant. Um, I'd like to thank everyone who is here watching today, and I encourage you to please share the recording with your colleagues, families, and friends. As we begin to celebrate the holiday season, we have to be really cautious this year, and, and this webinar is going to really help us frame what we're going to be doing in our own homes with our families and friends. So I'm anxious to hear everything that's going to happen, and I'll give it back to you, Dr. Denham. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, uh, uh, Jenny. We really appreciate uh, all you do and your tireless, tireless efforts for uh, for patients and their families, which you continue to do. Uh, we've got a wonderful set of uh, speakers and reactors today. We're recording this live. However, uh, we do have some leaders that are in hospitals and, uh, and, and are ill today. And so with our final uh, version, we will have all the speakers uh, in the program. And we're delighted to have uh, all of you join us either live 
live or uh, on demand. We have uh, Chief Bill Adcox, uh, who's the uh, Chief uh, of Security and Chief of Police at MD Anderson Cancer Center. Paul uh, Batia, who is an EMT, a pre-med student, and the former president of the uh, EMT club at the University of California in Irvine. We have Danny Policicio, who is a uh, NYU film student and who also uh, has been associate producer with us. We have uh, Dr. Greg Boats, who is uh, dual uh, faculty appointed at both the University of Texas at MD Anderson uh, Cancer Center as a critical care doctor, full professor there, and an adjunct professor uh, at Stanford Medical School. We'll reference uh, video clips from Dr. Brittany Bartow, who's a pediatrician, a community pediatrician. Uh, Charlie Denham uh, uh, will, will provide a link to a recording uh, of a program called the Holiday Lifeguard Program. Sophia McDowell is, uh, is a, an actress in Los Angeles and one of them, a member of our student outreach team, along with Paul um, and Danny. And uh, we have Randy Steiner, who's the emergency preparedness lead at uh, the University of California, Irvine, Heather Foster, who is an RN and has been a vigilant prevent um, infection preventionist, and I'll be your host today. For those of you that uh, have not worked with us before, uh, TMIT Global is a 501c3 organization. Um, we had the honor of actually building the uh, first questionnaire ranking system and deploying it across the United States for the LeapFrog Group, which led us to develop a broad network of hospitals, 3,100 hospitals in 3,000 communities. And over the last 37 years, we've developed a, a team, a group, a network of subject matter experts uh, of more than 500. Uh, we deliver educational uh, programs, both CME, CEUs, and uh, a number of, uh, of new programs that we'll be providing for certification and licensure uh, across multiple industry sectors through what we call Cary University. Not a university, but it's our learning management system. So uh, uh, in March of 2020, we assembled an 80-member team to tackle the coronavirus crisis. It's grown to 130, and they include experts that uh, have been filmed in our two Discovery Channel films Chasing Zero, um, uh, Winning the War on Healthcare Harm, and Surfing the Healthcare Tsunami, uh, Bring Your Best Board. We have a new film in the pipeline called Three Minutes and Counting, focused on what, what good Samaritans can do in those first three minutes before um, uh, the uh, EMS arrives. Our subject matter expert pool it consists of doctors, nurses, engineers, EMTs, and we're delighted to have these wonderful students from great universities and recently graduated uh, alums that are focused on, um, on uh, our um, youth and on uh, our young uh, adults. Um, we under, have undertaken a 1,000 1, household study. These are households of the uh, researchers, doctors, nurses, staff, non-clinical, clinical, um, and uh, subject matter expert uh, uh, leaders uh, from, um, uh, from a number of these organizations that you see uh, on the screen. Um, the one the 1000 family household study uh, was surveyed regularly regarding what we call the five R's, which are readiness, response, rescue, resilience and recovery. Uh, and we have learned a tremendous amount about how not only can we uh, help 
families, but we can actually help stop COVID in its tracks when those families adopt uh, adopt programs. Uh, we believe that family transmission chains uh, uh, were the problem back now in March. It's now over 20 months ago that we believe that family transmission chains were our Achilles heel. And as a result, uh, we tackled the families, the family linkages and family transmission chains. And we were very blessed to find out that we were right. We proved that that is the Achilles heel in our nation. And we're so delighted that now if we break families, the family transmission chains, we can win. Um, if we save the family, we save the worker. If we save the worker, uh, our great companies and organizations can save our nation. So this program is one of uh, now uh, uh, 40 90 minute programs we've undertaken over the last 20 months. It's one of 20 survive and thrive uh, courses that we have developed. Uh, and uh, we feel so blessed to have this wonderful group of um, college students, uh, recently gra graduated alums. Many are in graduate school that you see before, your, the, before you, student athletes, uh, and uh, we're delighted to have had them join us focused on vaccination, but we're expanding the, the role of this group uh, to help us with what we can do in emergencies. And you'll see in some of our prior webinars uh, that we're addressing what college students and young adults can do, the four, uh, four point or four element checklist of what we call the ICE checklist in an upcoming article in Campus Safety Magazine will address the four elements that this team will help uh, deploy, getting a uh, medical power of attorney, uh, being able to set one's phone so that it'll contact or in case of emergency, uh, family members or close friends, uh, being able to identify where the trauma one centers are, wherever you are, so that uh, you can make sure to get friends and family if they have an accident or are very sick to the right centers. And then finally, medical records on your phone. This four point uh, checklist and the title of the article will be breaking the ice barrier for in case of emergency. The medical power of attorney is critical. We're heading into the holidays now. College students are coming home. We need to make sure that they sign and have notarized a a uh, medical power of attorney so that emergency medicine doctors uh, will be able to uh, care for them because there have been many deaths and delayed treatment. So let's go through the checklist of the items that uh, we promised to cover today. So how can uh, Omicron or Omicron, depending on whether you're in Europe and the United States pronounce it, impact our plans? What should we be considering? And so I'll, uh, I'll be playing another videotape here uh, uh, from the, the, the town hall meeting uh, last night, because I think that they've done an excellent job. I've had the honor of uh, actually meeting and, and with and having dinner with uh, Sanjay Gupta, who I, I very much admire and I, I think has really uh, kept the science foremost in mind and stayed completely out of all the politics. Where are we at this moment? Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is, what we know is that Omicron is yet another wake-up call to remind us that while we would like to be done with this pandemic, it's not quite done with us. I mean, that, that's the truth. Big, the big question now is how big of a threat is Omicron really? We are told that new variants are going to continue to emerge. The more that the virus spreads and infects and evolves in our bodies, the more mutations arise. Now, there have been thousands of variants over the last two years. And most have not become variants of concern or of interest. But Omicron has raised red flags because of the dozens of mutations on its spike protein. Take a look here. Remember, this is the part of the virus that not only allows it to get into your cells, 
but also what your antibodies are actually targeting. We know that this variant is already dominant in South Africa, causing a rise in cases there, but we don't know if it's going to ride the same size wave as previous variants. Look, in the middle of the screen, beta was at one time the dominant strain in South Africa, but it did not take hold in the United States. Remember that. We are told most people have had mild illness, but at the same time, hospitalizations are rising in Kwateng province, where some of the earlier cases were identified. The hope is that our current vaccines, along with boosters, are still able to protect us, and early signals from South Africa and also Israel do paint an optimistic picture. But at the same time, what we know is that not enough people have access or have yet received the vaccine. Mm. I mean, just think the last time we were standing here was March 2020, standing on this particular stage. Mm. Since then, we not only have a vaccine, we know that high filtration masks like this one, I know you have yours as well, good ventilation, frequent testing, all those things can help keep COVID at bay. So we have the tools to control the pandemic. Now we just got to figure out if we got the will. Yeah. So that's why we have the headline of the, of the slide here. We have the tools, do we have the will? So I consulted our leaders of, uh, who have been just wonderful leaders of our program uh, over the last 20 months. Uh, and we uh, behind the scenes are providing education to uh, the families of the doctors, the researchers, the staff, the law enforcement uh, of uh, uh, the organizations you see and many others. And we just quietly provide that. Uh, Dr. Alicia uh, uh, Kowalski at uh, MD Anderson has deployed our program to all of the staff. I asked her yesterday, is there anything more that you want us to cover uh, for the MD Anderson, University of Texas and other medical centers? And she says, no, just keep staying with the basics. We asked Dr. Casey Clements, who's the leader of emergency medicine at the uh, at, at Rochester, across all of the Rochester and, uh, and the, the Minnesota related uh, emergency departments. And he said, we have to just watch. Let's not panic. We'll wait over the next two to three weeks to see what we need to do and stay with the fundamentals. Dr. Chris Fox has done a wonderful job for us in speaking a number of times and addressed the issue and the critical nature of get vaccinated. And he is consistent in that message, as is Dr. Christopher Peabody, who's also an emergency medicine doctor, who actually uh, I've known since he was a third year medical school when we were at Harvard together. And uh, Dr. Peabody is the head of the Innovation Center and says the same thing, fundamentals, stay with the basics, but we really need to re-energize those basics and focus on social distancing, use of masks, hand washing, disinfection uh, of our high contact surfaces. And we know that we've moved uh, social distancing and use of masks up uh, in priority because of the aerosol nature uh, of uh, the, vari the variants as well as the original virus. And we see no reason why that would not be critical. We have a video that we produced that we'll be updating again uh, in light of the new variant. And it's entitled Masks, Filter, Fit and Finish. It's on our website. And we've addressed these really important fundamentals of, a high, as you heard from Dr. Gupta, high filtration, excellent filtration, but you've got to have a good fit so no air escapes. And then after a mask is used to make sure that you're washing your hands and not touching the outer surface, uh, the surgical mask you see there, the N95 masks have an electrostatic charge, which, atta which attaches to or attracts the, the, the virus. And so the last thing you want to do is touch a surface where that exists. Now, at the very beginning of this, 
this coronavirus crisis, we thought that the main way route of spread were larger droplets over five, uh, five microns and that uh, gravity would pull them down on surfaces. And that's why we were so careful about washing surfaces and our groceries and, and, and the rest. But we soon found out that the smaller droplets where evaporation exceeds gravity uh, and causes them to float in the air is the main route of spread. So we're not saying don't wash your hands and we're not saying don't disinfect high contact surfaces, but be hyper vigilant regarding uh, aerosols uh, in and be careful about ventilated uh, uh, going into ventilated spaces or what um, what the scientists call congregate settings. This is groups going into groups where we're breathing the same air. So we're talking to the kids uh, and we last night we had the honor of training um, training firefighters with uh, with Randy Steiner uh, and uh, we talked about don't dare share air. We all wore masks, even though we were in a pretty well ventilated space and we were training. Finally, vaccination, absolutely critical, uh, more critical than it's ever been. And uh, although we have a number of people that have been vaccinated, many have delayed getting their boosters. And we know that waning uh, immunity from the vaccinations, the uh, frustration and our COVID fatigue, so we're not maintaining our safe practices because we think, well, we've been vaccinated. And then the, the onslaught of these variants are really setting us up for more surges. Um, so as we targeted vaccine, vaccine hesitancy with the group you're going to hear from here shortly, um, our, our two uh, uh, college students uh, and uh, EMT, we tackled vaccine hesitancy, not the definitely no group. We understand there's a group that say definitely no, but there's an enormous group in the middle that are what we call the movable, movable middle that just need answers to, to questions. So we developed a program uh, called Take the Shot, Save a Life, and the first video of that program uh, is called The Vaccination Conversation, which is being updated as we speak. It'll be done and on our website and totally updated with the, in light of the new variant. But we just want to draw your attention to uh, a study uh, that uh, with uh, uh, Kaiser Health uh, uh, Foundation uh, uh, that addressed um, the hesitancy and nearly eight in 10 people believe or unsure about at least one of these common falsehoods. The government is exaggerating the number of COVID-19 deaths. If anything, we believe that they're probably underestimating. Pregnant women should not get the COVID-19 vaccine. Not true. Deaths due to the COVID-19 vaccine are being intentionally hidden by a gov the government. Absolutely not true. Uh, the the COVID-19 vaccines have been shown to cause infertility. Again, so much mi misinformation is being spread across the web. Ivermectin is safe and effective for treatment of COVID-19. I personally am helping someone who insisted on getting Ivermectin in another state, uh, had a terrible consequence from it, um, and almost lost use of one of his organs. Um, and, and there just isn't the evidence to support it. Uh, you can get COVID-19 from the vaccine. People still believe that. And then COVID-19 vaccines contain a microchip. And it's hard to believe that people believe that. But when you see what happens uh, 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 you know, across Facebook, and, and now that we understand how Facebook is appealing to the threat centers uh, in, our, in, our, in our brain, we understand this. So I'd like to ask Paul uh, Abatia to speak first. 
Paul, we'd love to have you uh, turn your camera on. And um, you were uh, very actively involved in uh, giving vaccines. You've been a real champion of the cause. You're one of our leaders that's helping recruit EMT clubs across major universities. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, I want to grow up to be you because I think you're going to have a wonderful life as a doctor. I can't wait to see what kind of a great doctor that you're going to make. Paul, your comments regarding the va vaccines and your message to other young people and young adults. Thank you, Dr. Denon, for inviting me again today. It's, I always learn a lot from all of these webinars, all these programs. So yeah, my message to other young adults is pretty consistent with what we've been covering um, over the past you know, webinars, which is vaccination is incredibly important, as well as all the other measures that you could take to protect yourself and your family. Um, but uh, you know, now that these boosters are available, um, and, and the vaccines have been available for a while, it's definitely important to make sure that you're fully vaccinated and get the booster if you're eligible. Great, thank you so much. Uh, uh, thank you so much, Paul. We really appreciate it. And we will talk a little bit more about some of the great things that you were able to do to meet the surge and we'll be coming back to you shortly. Um, it's now uh, my honor to introduce Danny Policicio. We'll tell you more about some of the neat things that he's undertaken. However, he's uh, an NYU film student. He's been an associate producer of uh, work that we've done even back, way back when he was in high school. Um, and uh, Danny, you're a professional becoming a professional storyteller. I can't wait to see the films that you'll produce. You know, every, every great story has a hero, a victim, a, a villain, a crisis, a resolution. Um, what's your advice to other folks regarding telling the stories and getting the message out? We need more Danny Policicios to help us get the message out. I just want to first start off with saying thank you so much for inviting me to be here today. It is always such a pleasure. As like what Paul said, I always learn so much from these webinars. Uh, the best thing I could say about uh, getting the message out is just share your experience with uh, the vaccination as, you know, the best thing you do and forming the people closest to you is just sharing your personal experience, what happened for your first time, your second, and if you've received the booster. Because um, that's the best thing you do is relay personal information or, you know, personal stories and just kind of demystify the entire process. Paul, what's your take on the people that you circulate with? You're in pre-med, you're with a lot of more scientifically oriented people, and I'll come back to you, Danny, but what's your take on the young people at your, at your age who you are socializing with regarding uh, the vaccines, the variants, and what to do? Um, in you know the crowd that I hang around, it, it kind of varies. Um, a lot of my colleagues are pretty well versed in keeping up with the science in the news. And they're, they're definitely supportive and, and compliant with all the measures that you could take to keep yourself safe, like vaccinating, get, getting the booster, uh, particularly because a lot of them work in healthcare, just like I do, as an emergency medical technician or some kind of equivalent, like a medical assistant. Um, but uh, yeah, that sums it up. Great. So, so Paul, you're here on the on the West Coast where I am, and I've got team in uh, Texas. Kyle Kemp, who uh, runs, who's behind the scenes, who's the miracle worker that runs all these webinars, and we doubled down to over the last 20 months. We've been doing two a month, which is double what we were doing over the 12 years that we've done this. And I, I just want to shout out to Kyle for doing great work. And I hear what's going on in Texas, where he is in Austin. Danny, what's what's going on in New York City? What's going on in your social group? And my second part to the question is, what can we do to get young people your age to help influence their families as they get back uh, together with the holidays? 
Um, in New York, things are slowly moving back to how it was prior to COVID. Um, as on the streets, people are not wearing as, as many masks as they did during the uh, height of it a year ago. However, uh, at least for NYU, you must wear a mask into the building as well as show proof that um, you do not have COVID or that you've been vaccinated uh, to enter the building. And then for many restaurants, uh, you also have to show proof of vaccination to dine inside. Um, and then with my uh, personal group that I hang around with, everyone's gotten vaccinated and most have received their uh, first booster. And despite being in film, everyone's very uh, well informed from the news and reading updates. Uh, the best thing I could say going back home and being with family over the holidays is just make sure you wear your mask. Um, make sure to be vaccinated. Try to talk to your parents if they are not vaccinated and spread you know, what you know about um, the, vac the vaccine and boosters to truly try to um, get anyone who's in the maybe category into being vaccinated. Thanks, Danny. And uh, thank you both. We're going to come back to you here shortly, both of you, but we really appreciate all you've done on this uh, on this program. Uh, we've been very careful not to go poke anybody in the eye who doesn't believe in the vaccinations. We only want to reach those that are in the movable middle that really want to know more about it. So our second question is, how should HR leaders plan for return to work? This is a really tough uh, question because most HR leaders don't have your medical training, uh, Paul, or any of our doctors that uh, lead our program, or you, Danny, uh, or, or you, um, uh, Randy. So this is a tough question. So this is a graphic we like to use to help people to un people understand in one page, uh, kind of the picture of what the incubation period is, how severe illness strikes, hospitalization, um, when we're infectious, and then when the accuracy of the tests come into play. We're gonna keep updating it because it's been very helpful to help people understand uh, what's going on and how uh, we must implement quarantine and isolation. But now our HR leaders have to understand this graphic and actually have to establish guidelines and rules for their employees, which is really tough. So if you think about what the new HR leaders have to, uh, have to manage, they have to manage what happens if, uh, let's say, Paul, you work for a company and you, you work in New York City and you have a close contact and you're notified by the county or even here in California, uh, what do we do if we've ha had a, a definite exposure and have to go into quarantine? Uh, what about isolation? What about the hybrid work environment where you've worked two days at work on site and you work three days at home? And or what about your roommate? Let's say, Danny, your roommate gets sick um, and definitely has a positive COVID test. How can you work with a, in a hybrid environment where, let's say, you're doing film and editing at home and somebody's in the other room with isolation? And then the big topic right now is breakthrough infections. We're seeing people now that have had their, their vaccinations, they've had both vaccinations or and maybe waiting to get their boost, or they've even had their booster and had a breakthrough infection. I've helped manage family members and good friends who've had breakthrough infections. And then how do we keep track of boosters? When should they get them? And how do we how do, does HR keep track of that? Because we know the waning immunity that can occur with the current vaccines 
really put you in a position where you could come into an office and you could spread spread that. And then what about the folks that are, are getting tests, positive tests, negative tests, and that kind of thing? So the STAR approach is situation, task, actions, and results. It's a good way for um, those leaders to look at it. Now, this is an article that just came out this week. And hey, it wasn't in the job description that HR departments are having to navigate religious exemption requests. I mean, how does an HR person manage those requests and keep compliant and respect the rights of the of the employee while at the same time uh, keep the work process flow going this is a real challenge and so medical exemptions and religious exemptions are things that h the new hr leaders are going to have to take when i say new i'm saying new to them and so when we think about this we really need to help equip our HR leaders to actually have some good guidelines. And then for so many that work in high tech, we work with a lot of high tech companies and many are working in hybrid environment. What do you do when somebody is a roommate and uh, they get sick or they have an exemption? And how does this all work? This really, uh, this really is a challenge. And so, you know, the takeaway is that our, um, our folks that are, are in HR are going to have to learn to manage close contacts, quarantine, isolation, breakthrough infections, boosters, and test results. They are going to have to now start to manage religious exemptions, and they are going to have to know how to manage medical exemptions while still uh, keeping the respect of the HIPAA laws. This is a tough job. Now, the next question is, how do I make an at-home hybrid model work? Let's say I'm working with a high-tech company, and how do I do it? And our answer to that is, if you're going to be working at home, uh, you're a young adult, you've got roommates, and you're all working at in one household, or you, you're working at home and you've got kids and you're uh, you know a young family, or you have somebody who is uh, has a, a, a is at risk. They might have diabetes or heart disease or might be over 65. Um, what do you do? And the answer is, our answer is you've got to create a safety bubble in the home or the household. The only way to do it is to say, okay, if we're all going to be working together, then we all need to maintain the same rules so we protect each other and we protect those that we interact with. It's the only way. And that means that, and this is from one of our prior webinars, how to keep our kids safe. I recommend that you go back to see it. This is a bit of a great greatest hits program. It's our last one for the year, unless something happens with uh, Omicron, that means that we have to help all of you. But the issue is, this is math. And as a systems engineer, healthcare systems engineer, uh, this makes a lot of sense to me. And, and Chief Adcox and I and Dr. Boat's work uh, focus on threats, vulnerability, and risk. And, Dan, and uh, when we get to you, Randy, I'd like for you to help reinforce threat management and the principles that you apply. You're responsible for so many people at the University of California, Irvine. But the issue is there are threats that are likely to cause harm, we have an intrinsic vulnerability or weaknesses that those threats can exploit. So every story's got a hero, a victim, a villain, a crisis, a resolution. Well, the issue is, is the villain is the virus and the heroes are those that can make the family more safe. How do you do that? By reducing your vulnerability. Well, how do you do that? And we put together, and again, I'm just covering topically what we've already covered intensively over the last 20 months. Go back to watch our webinars. 
But step one is you got to identify each family member's threat profile. You know, how much at risk are they? In my home, um, there are three of us that actually have greater risk. All three of us have greater risk. I lost my mom to, she was 100 years old. I dearly love her and we, pray, we, we, we prayed for her in her last years and she was kept safe. But if she was living in my home, we would have had her there and there would have been four of us. Number two is identify and follow the local coronavirus threats. If you don't know the level of infection rate in your community and you don't know the community immunity, how the heck can you decide what you're going to do? The answer is you, you can't. So if you want to make sure that you have a safety bubble, where we are right now here in California, in Orange County, fortunately, we've got um, a reasonable uh, vaccination rate and our uh, community uh, infection rate is lower, but we know it's going to peak. We follow the IHME uh, pro uh, projections. No question, later December, it's going to be a lot more risky to go out than it is uh, today or that it was a week or two ago because it's on the rise. Number step, step three, develop a family safety plan somebody in the family and this is for our young adults who've got roommates uh, that are living together somebody should take charge and say okay okay for the group i'll keep track of things okay um or it's the or it's the mom or the dad of a family or it might be a multi-generational family with uh, a younger person that will take the lead and put a family plan together which will cover and then most importantly is plan the flight and fly the plan. I'm a pilot. Uh, I'm I'm very blessed to have been able to fly very sophisticated, high performance jet aircraft. And I could tell you, the faster things happen, like they do with this virus, the better prepared you you need to be. And Randy, make sure to emphasize that for us and the wonderful things that you do. So what do we do? Step one: you identify the throat the the threat profile of your family. I'm not going to read the slides. Go back and watch our program. But know what the the vulnerabilities of your family are. Then step two, uh, what we've got to do is, is make sure uh, that, uh, that we look at the continuum. And you know, um, uh, the, if they're age-related and they're related to the, uh, the conditions that we, uh, that we have, uh, and you need to understand those. Uh, if you don't understand those, how the heck are you gonna help? So, uh, so we, the four-step process that we, uh, that we described is what we uh, really want uh, folks to, to, to undertake. Uh, and I'm gonna just back up one slide. Uh, and then step two, we understand the outside and the inside threats uh, that are going on. And then we build our flight plan and then we fly our plan. So how do I plan for a breakthrough infection? This is new to all of us because many of us have just started uh, uh, down, down the path of having had both of our shots and now we're thinking about, well, our booster and that kind of thing. We'll cover all five elements of the plan and the research we've undertaken, but everybody needs to be in a state of readiness and know, okay, if I were to get a breakthrough infection, what do I do? Um, to protect everybody else in my household. So Danny, let's say you've got three roommates. I know you don't, but let's say you had three roommates. You need to be ready to create a isolation room if you got a breakthrough infection. Even if you had a close contact in your quarantining, how are you going to interface with the other guys in your or gals in your uh, where you live? You need to know how to respond if uh, you have had a close contact. You need to know when, where would you get testing? How would you keep track of the testing? And most importantly is know what to do if somebody gets sick. 
uh, we are, uh, I'm really, really blessed to have a wonderful friend that I walk with who's a, an older uh, man uh, who uh, did get a breakthrough infection. He was, a, he was very, very careful, uh, but he went on a flight uh, to uh, visit uh, his uh, gra uh, grandson, who was our intern actually here at TMIT, and on the flight, he got he was infected, got a breakthrough infection. And so the question is, now how do we handle that? And the issue is, is that we need to look at the isolation period um, and we need to really keep track of quarantining as well. If somebody was a caregiver for that man, then and they are exposed to him through care, they're going to have to quarantine. And if you look at the CDC guidelines and think about children getting uh, getting uh, uh, this infection, if they get COVID, uh, and a mother is taking care of a couple of kids, she must be in quarantine that starts at the end of the isolation period of the last kid that was sick. Well, if you've got a couple of kids that are sick, you might be out of work for, um, for, for a number of weeks. So it's very, very important that we're ready to kind of tackle this. And the last thing you want to do is not know what to do and then say, oh my gosh, now what I do and I can't get a hold of my doctor and when do I get a test and what do I do and how do I do it? So, uh, and the same thing goes for close contacts. If somebody is a close contact, my son was a close contact of someone, he had to stay home from school. He had to plan uh, Zoom and take, uh, take classes by Zoom. And it really was hard to undertake. Well, the quarantine period can be 10 days, or if on day five, you take a test, and then by day seven and take a test and have two days to see the result. If the result is negative, you could shorten the quarantine period. However, many schools, universities, and businesses say, ah, no, we're going to say the whole 10, the 10 days. Well, if you're working in an intense environment um, uh, where you're producing software or as Danny is producing film or where Paul is in pre-med or let's say you're uh, a medical student or you're a resident, Paul, uh, knowing whether that's seven days or 10 days is a big deal to people that are depending on you. And then uh, the, the, the next topic, uh, the question was, how do I make an airline flight safer? Do I go or do I not go in light of this new uh, uh, Omicron variant? And the issue is, is that in our last webinar last month, so I really highly recommend everybody uh, go ahead and uh, go to it. If we have a chance, we'll play the film at the end of this, uh, at this webinar. But we address planes, trains, and automobiles, and we address the ventilation in the aircraft. And it's really critical to know um, when people talk about airline travel being safe, it is most safe when the airplane engines are on and the airplane is in flight because the air turnover uh, is very rapid and there are HEPA filters that can remove the pathogens. But the problem is when you're on the in the airport on the jetway before they start the engines, if you're sitting in the airplane and they haven't started the engines yet, you're in a closed tube and we say don't dare share air. That's what you're doing is you're sharing air. So be very vigilant about making sure that you've got a good filtration uh, mask, that you have a good fit, and that you're being uh, very good about finish. So filtration, fit, and finish. Watch our film on that. Um, and then the other thing is when others are eating and have their masks off, have your mask on. The other thing is, is that if you can and you don't have much carry-on, wait until the plane is almost full so you're not breathing the air when the plane is stationary and then be able to then come into your seat and take your seat quickly. If you can get off the plane quickly after the engines are off and after the gate is, has been opened, do that. If you're stuck, 
<coughs> pardon me, if you're stuck and you're kind of in the middle, then wait till everybody leaves and some of the air can clear and you're not breathing that air. So you really have to be kind of an air management expert to be safe uh, in, in travel. And we highly recommend uh, N95 masks, uh, the one that I use, and I don't have any financial relationship with any, any company, but the 3M uh, uh, mask, the high quality masks, I found to have be uh, excellent. They're the 9205 uh, plus uh, Aura masks. And then the Envo mask we've been testing, which is uh, one that has uh, reusable filters. Uh, however, some of the some of the airlines um, are, are not familiar with them and may not approve them until you sit down. Uh, this study that was undertaken uh, at Brown University actually is uh, we covered in our video actually shows that uh, you should have windows down. You should turn off the recirculation of air in your in the car when you're traveling. And it's interesting that if you have the window open across from you, there's better airflow than even having the window next to you. If you're in cold or in rain and you can only have a few windows open, the one across from you is better for you than the one next to you. But if you're out here in California where we are, all windows down, stop the recirculation of the air within the within the, the the cabin of the car or the suv or whatever vehicle you're traveling in and then finally uh uh trains uh, uh the trains issue is really really critical the older trains have very poor ventilation the newer trains have pretty good ventilation make sure to position yourself wherever you can so that there's a lot of airflow uh that can protect you and as i described uh, regarding the cars uh uh what's important there so now let's uh, let's talk about the family and the safe family gathering. Uh, Charlie and Mr. Uh, David Bashk from uh, our team here in California uh, worked last year on something called the Holiday Huddle uh, Checklist. We put it together uh, during the time when we were uh, in uh, getting ready for Thanksgiving. And you can see that there are items that you can undertake. We, and last year, CDC said, don't get together. This year, before the new variant uh, Omicron hit, they were saying, be careful, make sure everybody is vaccinated, everybody is boosted, and you could be more careful. And now we're starting to hear hedges because no one knows how transmissible that this new um, uh, variant is. It's important to know that in the next two to three weeks, we should be able to find out A, transmissibility, B, does it cause more severe disease? C, will it escape the uh, vaccines? We'll start to know more about escape because of tests that they can do in the laboratory. Um, we're watching the admissions to hospital. However, um, some of the new information that came out from South Africa was mild symptoms, but these were in younger people. And if you, you look at the, the best measure you can look at in a country are hospitalizations and hospitalizations have been going up. So what, uh, what, what we did was put together uh, a checklist that you could follow to gather uh, last year. Now this year it's being updated because of the aerosol risk. And so what has been added uh, is know the vaccination status of your guests, know the threat status of your guests, assign tasks to family members. So what's in yellow and red we've added this year, prepare separate family bubble portions so that people aren't just uh, eating uh, out of the same bowls. Uh, set up washing, hand washing stations. That's still important. Deve why do you develop a bathroom plan? Because of the ventilation. Bathrooms are notoriously poor for ventilation. Make sure to open the windows in the bathroom, open the doors uh, wherever you can. Uh, prepare the bathroom to op optimize ventilation as you see there. Maintain kitchen hygiene. 
During the event, convene holiday huddle with the guests. So we say, look, before the event, okay, here's where the bathrooms are, here's where the hand washing stations are. Um, and because of Boy Scouts, we have an opening prayer uh, and we deployed this through Scouts, uh, whatever your faith is, uh, or just an inspirational moment with everyone. Describe the safe family bubbles, review the four pillars and what are they, uh, where uh, distance, masks, hand hygiene, um, and uh, contact surfaces, remind people not to touch their face. These are still important. And then protect the at-risk guest. Who has immune compromise? Who is older? Who might not have had their booster? Um, who's not, who, who's uh, more fragile and could be at risk? Provide the rescue, the restroom plan, the eating plan, how you're going to set up the eating, uh, summarize a cleanup plan. We had 55 guests down at the beach. I live at the beach in uh, Laguna Beach. We had 55 guests on Saturday. Uh, Danny Policicio, you were there with your family. We were able to maintain very, very good hygiene, highly ventilated offshore breeze, and we kept every, uh, everybody kind of uh, uh, eating uh, on their uh, with utensils that would not uh, be shared. After the event, we kind of uh, said, look, it's kind of, do you really need to glove up to clean up? Well, we now know that high contact surfaces are not that much at risk, but being careful is there. And you can see the rest of the, the after event, wiping down surfaces, the, the bathroom and debrief uh, to do a, a better job uh, next time. And so uh, we've updated this uh, and we highly recommend uh, that you consider that. Uh, we'll show a video uh, of uh, Charlie Denham, if we get a chance here, uh, of the Holiday Lifeguard. Uh, if we run out of time, then for those that are watching live, you can go back and watch, uh, watch that. Uh, uh, Charlie has put together uh, uh, his Eagle Scout program, and it worked very closely with the, the local scout groups, uh, universities, the EMTs, uh, all of the doctors that uh, you've seen that work with us with MedTech to put a rescue station in place. And that leads to uh, uh, to really uh, honoring Danny Policicio as we as we talk about um, uh, emergency care and Good Samaritan care. Danny, thank you so much for stepping up to join our MedTech program. Uh, Danny saved uh, the third life uh, uh, of one of our instructors in New York City and was honored with the uh, Soaring uh, Eagle Life Saving Award. Uh, uh, Danny, thank you for joining us and be, being so vigilant to help us uh, with our program. Uh, love to have uh, you you uh, now uh, kind of react to what you're hearing there, and we'll be coming back to Paul and uh, and Randy uh, uh, Steiner. So, um, uh, Danny, you want to react to what you've heard about the um, the holiday, um, the travel issues? You're traveling back and forth to New York City, and what to do in these events? I think we really can safely get together, but we've got to be vigilant. Yeah, of course. Uh, I just want to start off by saying thank you again so much for everything over the last few years and especially for teaching me so much. So I was able to uh, save a life last year. Um, but, you yeah, know, just kind of going into holiday travel as I just flew back to New York uh, two days ago. Uh, it's really nice to see on the airplane. Uh, everyone's wearing a mask. I myself wore a um, mask with an N95 over it. Um, but yeah, just remember to always wear your mask while you're traveling. Don't take it off while you're on the plane or in the airport unless you're uh, eating or drinking. Um, yeah, just I guess I guess best thing I could say is make sure to wear a mask and be vigilant. Make sure you get a COVID test uh, once you get to your location as well as before you leave, just so you could um, be extra sure even if you're vaccinated. Um, yeah, just conclude. Thank you again so much for everything over the last few years, sir. And MedTech has definitely been a great uh, opportunity for me and a great experience. And I'm excited to see 
everything going forwards. And hopefully um, the Omicron variant, everything will kind of uh, go downhill after that for COVID because hopefully we'll start returning back to normal in the coming year. Well, thank you, Danny. And uh, again, uh, congratulations on saving uh, saving a life. We're really proud of you. Um, uh, and, and for sharing the message. Uh, maybe you can share uh, the experience you had when you had uh, some uh, some friends pull your leg and you uh, were able to recite exactly what to do with the bleeding event. We had a moment, we'll come back to that. So the, the final topic, and then we're gonna have a, a really lively interactive discussion uh, with our uh, uh, re uh, reactors, but how will uh, Omicron impact my family safety plan? So let's just review that. And those of you that, um, that are uh, uh, with us uh, today, we just, wanna, we, we just want to uh, remind you, you could go back to watch in detail the family safety plan that we've covered in prior webinars. But basically, uh, what's really important about the family safety plan of the five R's now with Omicron is to consider uh, the fact that we have, um, uh, we now know aerosol spread is absolutely a critical issue. Go back and watch our video if you uh, ha have a moment uh, regarding uh, the uh, spread by aerosol, which is in our last uh, webinar. If we get a chance at the end of this webinar live, we'll actually show it to you so that you can see uh, how critical this is. So when we add the increased knowledge about aerosol and we add the new uh, uh, Omicron uh, increased transmissibility, what does that mean? Well, that means, and it could be 500% more transmissible than the original and maybe even that much again uh, uh, over Delta. Uh, if that's true, how does it spread? It spreads through the air, aerosol. So it's important as we look at the family safety plan and, and Dr. Boats goes through it in detail. I'll cover it very briefly here so we can get to our reactors. But readiness is, is making your household ready. And so we have young people on right now uh, and reacting. They may not be living with family all the time, but it's preparing, having regular review, knowing what to do if somebody gets sick. It may be that this is so transmissible that all of us are gonna have testing. President uh, Biden is announcing today about testing and reimbursement of tests. I think that we're gonna see an enormous increase in, in home testing so that we can find out who actually has it so that we can protect the rest of the population. So readiness is being ready to know if, if anyone in my family gets a close contact. What if I have to go into quarantine and have to stay away from my son and my, and my wife? What if I have to go in isolation and move into another bedroom? How are we going to manage that? And how can my son, uh, Charlie, uh, uh, go to school or even take Zoom school and keep both he and my wife from having to be a close contact? How do we keep them from being a caregiver, which is technically what would then force them into quarantine? How do you do that? Nobody really has thought about it until it happens. And then they go, oh my gosh, response. That's when your family or your household group and our thousand household uh, study included college students that were living together. And we think of them to be in a common household or a family household. So what if the family or the household group needs to move to action to an emergency? Be ready, be ready to know that if somebody gets sick, you take them to the emergency department, they say you got COVID, but we can manage it at home. Most people don't, don't realize that cabs lift and Uber will not take somebody who's sick from the emergency department. How do you get them home? 
you need to plan. How do you get them home safely? You've got to have masks, windows down, and be very careful, but you need to be ready for that. What about rescue? So one of my dear friends had a breakthrough infection, elderly man, his pulse oximeter numbers were down. Uh, we were managing him, and I say, because I'm a retired doctor, I was just his communication link with Dr. Boats, who is a, is a critical care doctor, an acute care doctor, and uh, we were talking multiple times a day, watching his pulse oximetry. He had a caregiver, professional caregiver that was caring for, care, caring for him. I think he got better care than he would have gotten in the hospital because he had a full-time caregiver, but this was a scary time, and we had to be ready to know if we had to take him to the emergency department. I have friends who had to take an, a, a grandfather to the emergency department. It was the last time they saw him. He died in the ICU. The whole family got COVID. They may be suffering from long COVID. Um, I have a family member uh, in in-law who passed away five days after his kids came home from a trip. They gave it to him. He was an older man and he died uh, of, of COVID. What if they had to take him to the emergency department? Would they know what to do? And so we're, we won't cover it today, but we have covered it multiple times in the last 20, 20 months. Of the five rights of emergency care that I put together with Dr. Uh, Toff Peabody, Dr. Christopher Peabody, or goes by Toff, is the head of the Innovation Center now at UCSF. It's one of our number, our top ten medical centers in the country, and he's the head of the Innovation Center for Emergency and Acute Care. I, I put this framework together after I put it together for pain management with Dr. Gladstone McDowell and a number of our experts, and we put together what do you do? How do you make sure that you're ready for emergency care? knowing the right provider, making sure you get the right diagnosis, the right treatment, the right discharge, and discharge precautions are critical. Do you know when you need to go back and write follow-up? Again, I'm using this as a teaser for you to go back and watch our videotape. We have uh, multiple versions of it that address emergency care. But what's really important, really, really important is knowing you should have a pulse oximeter at home. You should know about getting the medications that you'd have to take when you get home. And there I am in the back of our SUV. How can I protect my family members if I were to get COVID, how to go to the emergency department? How do I keep my son and my wife from getting sick? Because the only way I'm gonna get home is either by a family member or friend bringing me home. You need to be prepared for that. And then recovery, We've covered numerous times long COVID, and we're very concerned about making sure that you get the proper care and that we have the proper, proper support systems. Uh, we had the head of emergency preparedness for, um, for MD Anderson, who's a critical care doctor with Dr. Boats. Um, she was very careful, never got COVID, taking care of very sick patients at MD Anderson, but her son got sick. He got sick over a weekend. She caught COVID, she's suffering from long COVID, and she explained on our webinar that she can be in the middle of a presentation like this and then forget what she was saying, forget why she was there. And so this issue of long COVID, brain fog, really, really critical. I'm helping a man right now who's falling down in the shower. He is getting lost going to the bank that he's gone to for, for 20 years, and he's trying to get full disability for this problem called long COVID. And then finally, and Randy, we'll come to you now, uh, this issue of resilience and what's so important about, about target hardening, what we talk about creating an environment where our family bubble or our organization uh, or our company uh, is more resilient to the impact of COVID. 
these these are critical critical issues and so uh let me come to you first uh randy we've heard from paul and then we'll come to you paul um uh randy would you please kind of give us uh your perspective of why uh these things are so important and in in, in so doing i just want to draw your draw everyone's uh, attention uh to randy being a best-selling author of the book uh the light of the moon Randy is the Director of Emergency Management at the University of California, Irvine. Um, it's a privilege to know him as a friend. Last night, uh, he was with us with his son, um, actually certifying uh, EMTs that are firefighters uh, to become uh, Stop the Bleed instructors so that they can disseminate the Stop the Bleed program for acute and severe bleeding. And so, Randy, uh, please give us a snapshot of your background and what led you uh, and your family to be su so supportive of emergency preparedness. And then uh, please react to what, uh, what you've been hearing. Well, thanks, Chuck. And as always, it's great to be a reactor on, on uh, the, the, the panel here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, just to allude to uh, you know, what, what Chuck was saying about um, you know, my, my experience, I was the uh, uh, victim of, a, of an airplane accident back in 1976, where my father uh, crashed our airplane with my family on board. And some of the circumstances that happened that night, um, the lack of rescue we were in a field for about eight hours are having to find our way out my dad actually i was unconscious but going to a hospital and finding what he perceived as inadequate care really um helped him to work with other physicians uh, such as uh, uh ron craig from the uh, nebraska or lincoln nebraska the lincoln memorial or, uh, lincoln hospital and uh jody upright who was a critical care nurse in lincoln to develop the uh, advanced trauma life support system, which is the, the standard of care for trauma in American emergency rooms, which had never been there prior to uh, 1976. Um, and it's very interesting because last night when we were doing the, uh, the Stop the Bleed, I kind of came to a realization for the first time that Stop the Bleed was something that was introduced by the American College of Surgeons, which were the ones who implemented the concept of ATLS, which was really just for rural hospitals initially to train rural doctors who didn't have the training of the big city doctors, but it took off and became, you know, a really a worldwide standard of care and uh, doing stop the bleed. I can't Andy, and Andy you're, you're so humble. It's your dad that developed it as in honor of your family, right? Yeah. That, I mean, yes. My dad I, I think he, please tell the story because this is how American innovation, I think, you know, and I, we have global members that are attending and, and it's no disrespect to other countries, but I think we've got a lot of pretty innovative people here in America and it was the plane crash and, and what happened to your family that led your dad to create a program that just started there in Nebraska and it's gone worldwide. I think that's just remarkable. Yeah. And it's amazing because like I was saying, you know, going to stop the bleed, something that was, you know, so simple, like a, you know, first aid class or something, it made me realize that, you know, this was an American College of Surgeons sanctioned class. And really it sort of looped it around to what my father had done with his colleagues in the advancement of ATLS. And then being in that room with the firefighters last night was just such a great experience to sort of bring that full circle for me. So that was really a, really an incredible, uh, incredible moment for me. Um, but, you know, looking at moving forward with with COVID and, and going into what we're saying, you know, COVID is an emergency. Of course, it's not typical emergency. It's not like a wildfire, an earthquake or the types of emergencies that we were, um, you know, as emergency managers, we were really uh, planning for, you know, when it came, we were kind of a, a little on our, our back legs and all of our pandemic plans that we had spent many, many 
you know, years making up turned out to be completely not true and, uh, you know, not didn't apply to, uh, to COVID. This really was a slow moving, but really highly impactful event. Um, but moving forward on that, you know, we've been through that. We've been through almost 20 months now of, of, of COVID and the lockdowns and coming back and, you know, safely, uh, you know, getting back into the groove of things. Now we have the Omicron variant, um, which is sort of throwing a wrench in things and creating a lot of anxiety. Um, you know, I want to put this in the framework of, you know, our emergency management cycle. But first, you know, what we say to everybody and, you know, what that I train in, in emergency management, my, my emergency operations team and, and all the people on my campus, number one, don't panic. Um, you know, it's these, the, this, this virus is going to continue to, to mutate. This is probably not the last time, um, you know, there are things we can do. We are not you know, in a point where, you know, everybody is done, you know, we've there, we, we have to do that. And, you know, keeping that said, and, and, you know, some of the firefighters were talking about last night that we have burnout. God, we've been doing this for 20 months now and everybody just wants to go back to normal so badly, but we have to continue. We have to continue to march. This is not over. It's not up to the politicians. It's not up to, you know, the, the teachers, it's not up to, to the parents. It is the virus that is controlling this. And the virus doesn't care. It's going to go as long as it's going to go. Um, but we can we can deal with that. So don't panic. Um, Chuck talked about uh, threat assessment, but before I get in there, you know, kind of aligning with the the the, the five R's um, that he was talking about is you know the emergency management cycle, uh, which you know looks at the four concepts of preparedness, mitigation, response, and recovery. Chuck talked about response and recovery with regard to COVID preparedness. You know, like the Boy Scouts say, be prepared. How do you, how are, do we, are we prepared for COVID? Well, making a plan. That is the most important part of this is having a family plan or any kind of, no matter what or level of organization you're at, having a plan of what you're going to do if something happens. How are you going to respond to it? Um, you know, part of this planning process, like Chuck alluded to, was the threat assessment process, something we do in emergency management all the time. We look at what can cause problems or emergencies on our campus or in our jurisdictions, and we identify those, we rank them in orders of, of various things, probability, uh, impact, uh, you know, different scaling mechanisms to, to, to prioritize our planning towards those. And then we create a plan, what we call an annex um, for each of those hazards. So that when those hazards happen, we have our basic plan, which tells us how do we activate, how do we get into the emergency management mode, and then the annexes come out to say, okay, how do we how do we adapt that mode to this specific uh, type of type of disaster? So that threat assessment in the home that's really easy to do. Looking at you know what are your families doing? Vaccines, you know, really big important thing. Are are people vaccinated? Are you bring people in the holidays that are vaccinated or are are hesitant to tell you if they're vaccinated? Vaccinated. If somebody's not going to tell you they're vaccinated, you should probably assume they're not. And you know, take the adequate steps to do that. You know, to 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 deal with with that situation. Randy, let me inter interrupt you there and say this: we know this is not easy. You know, oh, one, no. of the thing, one of the things that we know is not all firefighters are vaccinated, and virtually half of the deaths this year of firefighters are from COVID, and yeah. five times as many deaths in law enforcement than gunshot wounds. So last night. I did what you said. I presumed they were not vaccinated. We all wore masks. We were all very careful. We opened doors and windows. It got kind of cold in there. But I, I just want to acknowledge the fact that it's not easy sometimes to ask. 
Yeah, it, it really isn't. And like I said, the burnout is just there, you know, I've seen and I'm, I'm, I'm hard and when I go out into the community, into the stores, the Home Depot or my grocery store, you know, most of the people that are wearing masks, but I'm seeing more and more people that aren't. So there is that complacency that's starting to happen. Um, but, you know, remember, first and foremost, wearing a mask, you are protecting others. That is the primary goal. We are protecting other people. You're, you're doing, the, if it's a sacrifice to put that mask on, okay, but you're doing it to protect other people. Yeah, there's a level of protection for yourself, but we're, we're, we're asking people to wear masks to protect each other. We're in this together. We're not getting out of it separately. We, we rise and fall through this pandemic together and there's, there's no way around that. We just, as a society, we just need to accept that. Um, but one of the, the other concepts, uh, with preparedness, you know, next to preparedness is what we call mitigation as a, one of those cycles, mitigation, response, recovery. Um, you know, what is mitigation? You know, it goes into the four pillars uh, from Chuck's presentation. You know, first and foremost, wash your hands, wash your hands, people. That's not just for COVID, but just to prevent yourself from getting sick in general, whether you're handling raw food or going to the restroom or whatever, just wash your hands. Remember to wash your hands. Um, you know, the distancing, that's a mitigation measure, making sure you're standing, you know, a, a distance away from people around you when you're out there in the public. You know, of course, uh, disinfecting surfaces around your home or, or disinfecting surfaces. You know, whenever I go to the gas station, I, I don't put on gloves and gloves are another type of mitigation. But after I'm done handling that pump, I go and disinfect my hands because, I, you know, I don't know how many people have touched that pump before me. And, uh, you know, masks, of course. Maybe, are, let are me jump good. in there. You're just giving us so many nuggets. Uh, flu is on the rise because we have been protected. Yes. So it, it, you may not be a, a coronavirus info junkie, but if you don't want to get the flu or a cold, wash your hands after you fill the tank. It may not yeah. have anything to do with COVID. It may exactly. just be flu or cold, right? Yeah, way before COVID, the, the, the number one vector for flu or the flu was shopping cart handles or doorknobs. You know, that, that hasn't changed. Those, and, those money, and, paper money, and paper money. Yep, exactly. So, you know, washing your hands and disinfecting is, you know, something that really COVID sort of put into, the, into all of our lives and set in this, you know, central stage in all of our lives. Let's keep that going. It doesn't matter if it's Omicron. It doesn't matter if it's Delta. It doesn't matter if there's a new variant that comes out. These mitigation efforts are going to protect you no matter what the variant is that comes out. So th that, that's the basis of our protective factor, that mitigation piece of it. Uh, Chuck went into response and recovery, but when you take all those things together, he mentioned resilience, and that's what that is. If you cover your preparedness and you have a plan, if you've got your mitigations uh, in place, if you've got your response plan and your mechanisms in place, if you are able to recover, and recovery is the longest part of the cycle. Recovery is what always takes the longest, but when you do all that and put them all together, that means resilient. That means you're going to have a resilient plan, you're going to have a resilient household, and you're going to be able to, to, to move forward. And always remember when you're doing your plans, plans are flexible, they're adaptable, and they're scalable. You go, what we say in emergency management, stay out of the weeds. It's really easy to write a plan and make it super, super detailed. Well, then you start pigeonholing yourselves into things. And there's so many variables that come into implementing a plan that you want to make sure that plan is high enough level where as things change, your plan can change along with it. Um, you know, and if there, if when you're planning, if you're wondering, you know, should I worry about this or should I worry about that? I do fire extinguisher training at, at various areas. And one of the things I say to people when it comes to, because people are hesitant to pull fire alarms, you know, it's scary. I pull a fire alarm, I go get in trouble, you know, oh my God, everybody's going to have to leave the building. Well, I say, you know, if you're looking at that trash can, it's on fire and you think, 
I wonder if I should pull the fire alarm. You should pull the fire alarm, you know? And it's the same thing with planning for COVID. If you see something in your house that gives you a feeling of, I wonder if I should have a plan for that, make a plan for it. You're not going to go wrong. It's not going to be a waste of time. You may not ever have to implement that plan, but it's better to have that plan than it is to not. And Randy, so, let me jump in here and reinforce that it, that that we don't mind getting 911 calls if you think there's a problem. People are so afraid of calling 911. I personally have called 911 at least three times when something's happened on the highway, and all I got was a positive response from the dispatcher. Yeah, the, the fire fire department doesn't mind coming to your building to see that it's not on fire. That's you know nobody's got a problem, and you know nobody's gonna. It's it's really what I'm how I'm applying that to COVID is just you know there's things it's like well I don't really need to have a plan for that or I need to have a plan for this and it goes back to you know if you see it and you think you should have a plan if there's even a, a I wonder if I should have a plan just make a plan it's that, that's that's your, your your brain telling you you know we should have a plan for this so. Thank you, Chuck. I really appreciate Listen, it. Listen, uh, wow, what a wealth of information. I'm going to go uh, now to um, uh, to have uh, Paul react, and then I'd like to have Jenny react because we we uh, it's not tokenism to have family members, but I know that she will have some great ideas. However, I want to come back to Paul and um, have Paul. Uh, one of the things we would like to acknowledge about you is you're donating your time to help put the um, the auxiliary hospital or the accessory hospital together to, to meet the surge. We we pray we won't have a surge. We hope we don't have a surge. And those that are being don't panic are saying we probably won't have a surge with the new variant. But if we were, um, what happens, Paul? And can you share your experience with that? So absolutely. Um, when the uh, the surge happened last winter, um, a lot of hospitals kind of went into, um, I guess, caution mode. They they basically set up a lot of auxiliary hospitals, mobile field hospitals or what they're called, um, outside the actual hospital building campus, like in a parking lot or some kind of open space to basically help decompress the hospital, um, you know, because of that surge, because of the, the increased number of patients. And, uh, and critical patients that are that need to be taken care of. Um, you know, I, I probably would assume that if we were to see something similar or a surge of that magnitude in the future, um, for example, you know, this winter, if something does happen, hopefully not, that something like this might be set up again. Hospitals like these might be set up, um, and if so, I'd definitely be be uh, helping out and um, building those those mobile field hospitals again. Um, but I really hope that's not going to be the case. Great. And do you want to kind of address that? You did a beautiful job of addressing the conspiracy theories regarding vaccination, because I want to come back to what's the most important thing that we can do right now with the new variant is vaccination. Do you want to kind of hit the nail on that, uh, you know, hit that topic again about some of these conspiracy theories? Yeah. So um, Dr. Denham did mention a couple of the, the different, uh, you know, misconceptions about vaccines and uh, and what they might do um you know we already covered the whole microchip thing that's definitely not something that uh, should be worried about at all um but some other people might have uh, concerns for their well-being in terms of infertility pregnancy um like dr Dunn mentioned earlier we, we we have data that can demonstrate that these vaccines are safe they've they've been safe they are currently safe um and uh and so if you're hesitating on getting a vaccine or finishing your series Definitely, um, I'll advise you to or encourage you to 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 get vaccinated. Be you know, complete your series and get vaccinated as soon as you can. So let's just address because we do have a few minutes to to, to address it. Um, 
uh, let's just talk about these. Uh, I'm projecting the these each of these uh, these areas. Uh, uh, there's ample now as a pre-med student, as a scientist, uh, as somebody who really is a good student of science. Let's just run through these. There's no evidence anywhere that we see that the government's exaggerating COVID-19 deaths. Is that a fair statement? That's a fair statement. And I think that our and and we'll come back to you one more time, Randy. Uh, because you work at one of our major medical centers, uh, and we all know the weaknesses of our public health system. If anything, they're underreported, and we definitely know that we're only getting a fraction of the people that are getting what's called a breakthrough infection. You've already been, you've already had the vaccine, you've already had the booster, you get infected. Nobody's been counting those, and so, um, so those are not really getting picked up. Um, uh, Paul. Uh, pregnant women should not get the COVID-19 vaccine. There are terrible stories about women that have believed this off of Facebook and then, then passed away in the hospital, leaving their family with the, a child that has COVID or uh, both the child and the, and the mom have COVID. Is, is this also, um, do you believe that this is true, that, 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 that this, is a, this is a misconception? I definitely believe that that is a misconception, 100%. And then deaths due to the COVID-19 vaccine are intentionally hidden by the government. Uh, this is just not the case. There's no way that they could keep the lid on it, considering uh, our, our, our press being so focused on investigative journalism for either side. And uh, we just see no evidence of that at, at all. And I want to now address this one. And I know we've talked about it, Paul, infertility. Um, uh, we know that that is just not the case, that it causes infertility, and yet uh, these stories about both men and women becoming infertile are, are, are just rampant. Uh, is it a fair statement to, to say, as you, as a, somebody who's studying science, that that's not true? Definitely not true. And then ivermectin, we see that, you know, many doctors can treat people for off-label. And this product is, we have, we, you know, we have not, we are not overly regula regulated in healthcare, no matter what anybody says. And doctors can treat people with off-label use of drugs that are approved for things that mean they may not even be approved uh, for. And my experience with every person that's taken uh, ivermectin has been a, a bad experience and uh, no, the, the stories that we hear on the web um, uh, are, are pretty well loaded towards creating outrage, fear, or sell something else. And so I'll, I'll take that one. Um, uh, Paul, do you want to tell people why you can't get COVID-19 from the vaccine? Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the vaccine, so there are different types of vaccines in terms of their fundamental mechanisms of how they work. But None of these vaccines actually give you the virus itself. So you definitely can't get the virus. The only way you could actually get the virus is from somebody who's actively shedding it through aerosols or through surface contact um, or something of that nature. So you're basically the RNA, the, the mRNA va uh, vaccines are really just a blueprint to say, please make antibodies. That's all they are, is make antibodies against the, uh, against the, um, against the virus. So, so Jennifer, you've heard a lot. I want to give you a chance to speak. We're going to come back to you when we finish, but I wanted to give you, you know, as a patient safety advocate to respond to what you've heard today. Thank you, Dr. Denham. This has really been interesting. I'm really worried about this new variant. Um, you know, it's, you're hearing so much misinformation out there. 
And I know a lot of people who have not been vaccinated and they're afraid of the of the vaccine. And it, it's just, um, you know, it's not logical. There's just so much misinformation going on out there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I just really want to encourage people to listen to your webinars about the COVID virus because they, they don't make any sense. They are, you know, it's not a real virus. It's political and the vaccines, this and the, va and there's just so much misinformation going on out there right now. But I believe this is really, this is very real. Um, a good friend of mine sent me an article from someone that talked about um, perhaps this variant might not be as bad as we think. We really don't know, but it was a really upbeat, positive article. And my question for our panel um, and yourself, Dr. Denham, it, how, how good are the odds that perhaps this new variant is something that's more positive that would, of course, I, I believe that COVID is going to be endemic for the rest of, of our lives. It's going to be just like the seasonal flu. That's kind of what I think just is, you know, from my own experience as a, as a mom and a family member seeing that this has been going on and on. So what are the odds that perhaps maybe this new variant would actually be something to help us build immunities in the future? Is that poppycock? Is it possible? I'd like to know that. Good. Yeah, well, here's what I would say, uh, and I don't tell myself, I, I think of myself as kind of a producer. Uh, Danny and I are kind of uh, like kindred spirits in that we're storytellers and we and I rely on our scientists. So I am not an infectious disease doctor, but I have been on faculty at Harvard School of Public Health and have been on faculty at, at universities that, that has given me the opportunity to talk to the really smart people that are focused on this. I would draw your attention and everybody's attention back to the CNN town hall from last night. We have recorded it. I hope that they will record it and make it available uh, on CNN so that you can go back and watch it. Uh, it is terrific. It covered a, no a number of the questions. And I think where we are today, and I, I'm so glad you asked the question, uh, Jenny, you always uh, really pr provoke us to really be thinking about the important uh, things. First off is, is 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 this new variant more transmissible or not i'll tell you why they think it is because it went from zero to a very high, a very high penetrance in the population uh in south africa so fast that it really it really rocked uh rocked south africa and they were very honest about it reported it immediately they provided the genetic sequence they do they do more genetic sequencing than we do we're like 24th in the world and they they do a really terrific job which it was really great to hear so it was the reason that it spread so fast so that's the transmissible transmissibility question that's the first question the second is is it will it cause as severe a disease right will it will it cause a severe disease and if you watch this uh, this uh, uh program sanjay gupta gupta who i really respect i uh, for the old whole 20 months he's not steered us wrong not been political he's always relied on the science he's just done a great job as has dr fauci and one of my heroes is uh, dr francis collins the head of the nih i think you can set your watch by these guys in the science and what Sanjay has said is, let's watch, but he has put up and he puts up the grid and puts up the graph that shows that hospitalizations have, rise, have been rising dramatically in South, in South Africa, in the province 
where this uh, was picked up. So uh, although we hear some positive stories, and I heard those too, Jenny, and I've been monitoring the news, uh, that the people that they saw in clinics had milder disease. Uh, Sanjay saying, jury's not out yet. Let's watch to see if it has if it's less severe. Some of the people that I've talked to, and my my gut tells me it may be equally severe to Delta, but if it's less severe, that's a good thing because maybe it'll crowd out Delta, and and that would be a positive thing. So we 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 don't know about that. The third the third question is is immune escape. Will it does the virus escape? Uh, the vaccines, and you'll hear clips from the CEO of Moderna, and you also will hear uh, comments from the leaders at at, uh, uh, at Pfizer. And the concern is, is that if with over 50 mutations and so many of them in the area that are targeted by the vaccines, this has them worried, and they don't want to. No one wants to cause panic, so they're saying, "Well, maybe there'd be less immunity. We don't know, but it's likely that we'll have, um, we'll still have some immunity." Now, that's with the antibodies attacking them. We also have another part of our immune system, which is uh, are the B cells and T cells, the B cells that that make antibodies, and the T cells that are the T killer cells that go and uh, and and kill, mop up the virus. And so we just don't know yet on. The the escape. The fourth question that I'm worried about is that I think long COVID is a time bomb. And, and nobody knows, nobody would know until this has been with us for months, whether this causes uh, long COVID. And I think long COVID is going to be a disastrous thing to so many. So I tell my family, and when I people say, oh, well, it's, you know, the Kung flu, or it's just like the flu, um, people that have mild COVID can end up having long COVID. And I can tell you, knowing people that I personally know that have long COVID, uh, I am very concerned uh, uh, about long COVID. So I would recommend that everybody go back and watch that program um, and, uh, and, and really take advantage of it. Um, and I'll come back to you, Jennifer, but uh, I tried to answer your question there from what I understand. Danny, um, you you are kind of our resident storyteller, our 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 our, our in-house expert on, and you're going to build a career uh, in storytelling. How can we um, get the messages out to your cohort? You're in your 20s. Um, uh, you know, we we really need to target the 20s to 30s to help influence the older population because. Our, our older people trust the young people in their family. If you say who trust who trusts who, right? Older people trust their own younger family members that are in school and learning and that kind of thing more than they trust the media and they trust their own doctors and the most trustworthy are nurses. But uh, uh, what can we do to get the message out? And the reason is that we're expanding the work you're doing and that Paul is helping lead uh, with our student and our uh, uh, program. We're expanding it not just from outreach, but to R&D. We're going to start to study vaccination apps and we're going to be studying messages. Um, what's, what's your take there on how we can use storytelling to try to move the needle in your age group? I mean, uh, just going back to what I said earlier, just making more personal stories to help share uh, to people would be fantastic, as well as going through social media, because I know at least for myself and a, a lot of other college students, most of us get our news from a cell phone and going through social media. And like you were saying earlier, an app would be fantastic. Something that uh, 
will be able to get information to the palm of a person's hand as you know most people live their lives through their cell phone and they should be able to have the information already i know youtube has been doing a great thing uh where they have a tab just for um covid related news on their homepage. and i know uh, at least personally i within all of the recommended videos there's always at least one related to covid and just kind of going forwards and moving into something more like that through instagram or uh, other social media websites would also i think really help spread knowledge and information fantastic thank you danny uh randy i want to come back to you and and uh you know you're not only a wonderful leader at university of california irvine but you're also a a, a scoutmaster that helps uh, with our young people um what what can we do through our teams schools scouts churches uh to help move the needle any ideas there i think we just need to you know continue with the positive narrative there, there, you know, and and follow the science. We all know what it is. Everybody, uh, you know, Paul spoke very eloquently to it that the science of this this virus and how to prevent it is are the the the, the four pillars that we talked about earlier. And we just have to continue to push that narrative that the 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 anti rhetoric that's out there, the anti vax the anti mask that that narrative that's out there. It's a it's a small but vocal group of people. We just have to be louder. We have to continue to speak the truth about this and the truth about how to keep people from doing it. And we cannot relent to that. We can't be beat down by the people out there who want to say, you know, not only are vaccines bad, but if you get a vaccine, you are somehow bad. Or if you're wearing a mask, you're somehow part of the problem. We can't get go, go down to that. We have to, you know, it's Chuck, one of the things you said, you know, you, you, you win them over with love, right? And that's what we have to continue to do. We have to remain calm. We have to, you know, explain the science to people. And, you know, like we said earlier, you're, you're, you're wearing a mask, you're getting a vaccine, you're, you're doing it for you, but you're also doing it for other people, people that you may love, people that you may not even know. But we are here. We have to have the, the continue the narrative that we're all in this together, whether we like it or not, no matter what our political beliefs are, no matter where we stand in the spectrum, we are in this together and we're going to go through it together. And, you know, it's it's not up to anybody to say when this is going to end. It's going to be up to the virus. So we just have to keep working through that. Beautifully said. Yeah, my expression is uh, love them through it. Love, love them through, through it. it. Thank and you. Uh, I think I have to, I say that about 10 or 15 times a day, either to myself or somebody else. So thank you. Uh, thank you uh, very much. Hey, listen, uh, thank you, Dan Randy. I really appreciate your uh, input. We're going to go to Paul and then we're going to have uh, Jenny close us today and we'll close on time. Paul, do you have any last words you want to share? Yeah, the last thing that I'd emphasize is uh, basically kind of what Randy mentioned is, you know, we're in this together. Uh, communication, I think, is incredibly key. If you're having any kind of disagreement with somebody, you know, do your best not to ignore them or ostracize them or call them out um, too much. You know, help educate them, offer information. That's the best thing that we could do to help uh, help combat this pandemic. Fantastic. And Paul, thank you for uh, all that you do and uh, all you do in our community. And uh, can't wait to see what kind of doctor you're going to be. Thank you so much. Um, uh, Jenny, as always, uh, you're so steadfast in your support of patients and families. Would you close us? And I just want to wish everyone a wonderful Christmas and God bless all of you. We'll let Jenny uh, be the last word. But if we have any crises happen with coronavirus, we'll do an extra webinar here in December. Go ahead, Jenny. 
Uh, thank you, Dr. Denham and all of our speakers. And, and for thank you for answering my question. And Randy, thank you for your kind words because that's kind of the way I try to do it. I try to stay steadfast and just not be too pushy. But I have family members that are unvaccinated and um, very concerned about them. So it's very hard for me personally. So I just want to thank everybody here for this wisdom and what you what we did today. I want to thank you all for being here. And again, please share the recording with your colleagues, families, and friends. I'm wishing everyone here a very Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa, and and wonderful holiday season for everybody here on this webinar. And um, God bless everyone. And um, what we need to do is be positive and, and just uh, do what Randy said. And Dr. Denham, we always, we've loved a lot of people through a lot of things through the years and we're going <laughs> to do it forever, right? Well, God bless and thank you all so much for being here. Happy holidays, everybody. God bless you guys. See ya.